The Boilermakers moved to the offseason more quickly than what was anticipated after the first-round exit from the NCAA tournament. What now? Let's discuss with Mike Carmen. And football spring practice begins Tuesday. Tom Deanhart will preview. I'm Kyle Charters on Golden Black Radio. Carm next, but first this. Designing and building since 1968, TNW has changed the way people think about construction. TNW's three-stage approach to designing and building is unmatched throughout the construction industry. Learn more about TNW's people, passion, and projects at TWDesignBuild.com. Experience unparalleled comfort, service, and cuisine at the Whitaker Inn. This Midwestern oasis is perfect for a relaxing staycation or weekend getaway. Escape from the ordinary at the Whitaker Inn. All right, Carm, a little bit different conversation we're having uh, on this podcast today than what we anticipated. The Boilermakers, an earlier-than-expected exit from the NCAA tournament, and it came in not the most ideal fashion, historic fashion, uh, perhaps, losing to a 16 seed. It's going to create a, an interesting offseason, I think, for Purdue in a in a number of ways. Uh, you know, Purdue nationally is 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 a topic that, isn't uh, shown in the most positive light uh, right now, having lost three straight years to double-digit seeds. Uh, so you have that narrative that that you're not really going to be able to race until you know perhaps a year from now, perhaps longer than that. You've got the Zach Eady question um, and whether the All-America center returns for his senior season. Uh, you've got Purdue's roster, whether it needs to be tweaked. Uh, you've got Matt Painter and the questions about whether he needs to change some of his approach to have better success in March. I don't know where we start there, but it certainly is is going to be uh, an intriguing few months here until we dial this thing back up again in in the fall. Well, you know, your your major question evolves around Zach. So there's really not a whole lot that can happen until you know whether he's coming back and what your team is going to look like next year. And that, but that doesn't mean other guys are not going to make decisions before that. Uh, does everybody wait to see what Zach does before they decide what they're going to do? And the, there's going to be some movement on this roster. There's just too much of a log jam yeah. at certain positions. And then you're adding, you know, Miles Colvin coming in uh, to the equation. You're adding Cam Heidi uh, to the equation. And they, they would appear that they could, would share a position or positions out on the perimeter. And then you're factoring in a Brandon Newman and Ethan Morton. Um, so there, there's going to be a log jam there. And some guys have to decide, you know, what they want to do. And I, I don't think any of this is really reflective of the program or the state of the program. I mean, people are not like, jumping off the ship because they lost to a 16 seed. This is a simple part of what college athletics has become where I want to, I want to play more. Am I going to be able to play more here? Or is there another opportunity for uh, somewhere else? And each guy is different. You know, Brandon Newman's story is one that's told every two or three weeks. Uh, And it's, it's a great story for him, how he's hung in there and all that kind of stuff. But maybe he just needs something else to to finish out his college career and, and so on and so forth. So it's uh, I, I don't look at any departures, uh, assuming that there are some as a negative. But you can't really get into next season until you 
till you know what Zach is going to do. Yeah. Uh, because he, he is the centerpiece. He is the guy. And everything evolves around him. So until then, you're just you're you're kind of in a holding pattern of what what's going to happen. What do you think Zach does? I, I think it's interesting to consider whether his decision is influenced at all by the way in which Purdue lost in the tournament. Does he want it at Purdue to end this way uh, for him personally? Does that matter? I don't know the answer to those things. And I don't know that he knows the answer to those things yet, but we'll see, right? I mean, how much of an influence do you think that that has on, on his decision here over the next, whatever weeks, month, whatever it is. Well, if you take him at his word and I do, um, and again, I don't claim to know these guys like their parents or their best friends, but if you go and watch the interview from the locker room, after Friday's loss, and you take him at his word about his uh, affection uh, for his teammates, his teammates' affection for him, um, how painful the loss was to him, uh, all this kind of stuff, then, yeah, that's probably going to weigh a little bit on him. But as you get through that, as you get past the emotional part, is when the other stuff comes into play as far as what what's the best situation for Zach from a financial standpoint? And that's let's not hide the fact that that's what we're talking about here is that he's not going to be a first round draft pick. Uh, at best, he's a second round draft pick in the NBA. If if that happens at all, uh, is there a better opportunity for him overseas? Can he make the same money at Purdue from an NIL perspective? And, you know, Purdue's working. Purdue and the NIL people are working to try to make that happen. So the question, you know, if everything is equal, what does he do? Right. You know, if the equal, if everything's equal, does he come back and make another run at it? Can he improve his stock in any way going into next season? Uh, I mean, he's going to be national player of the year. He would have to repeat that. He's a first team consensus all American. He would have to repeat that. I mean, yeah. you can't, you can't go in, you can't get any better from a, award standpoint right i mean there's so many they're not going to create a new award just for you <laughs> you know next year so the awards are what they are can he average more points rebounds and stuff like that yeah can he improve his game yes he can uh there's a lot of things there but if if the poll is to come back do this again this left such a bad taste in his mouth and uh his teammates that they are committed and determined uh, to do it again, then I can see that happening. My lean is that he does come back because I, I think a lot of things will be equal when you yeah. when they backing him up. I think again, I think Purdue will do uh, what it needs to do to present to Zach. Here's how here's how this can play out, and you know, there's also he, he's at a bit of a disadvantage because of the uh, the international student situation mm -hmm. and what. They what they can make in the states. I, I do know that there are there are things happening behind the scenes, and that's a federal government thing that need, needs to get changed. How quickly something like that gets changed, I don't know. Does it get changed in time for Zach to come back another year and benefit from uh, you know being in the states, or does he still have to go back to Canada to do all his NIL stuff? So yeah. there's a lot of things there. I think 
Um, it's not, I, I, I don't anticipate a, um, a quick decision. I think the only quick decision would be he's coming back, but, and I'm not saying the longer it draws out that he's not coming back, but, um, he's got a lot to weigh, you know, it's about him and his future being able to maximize, you know, what he's been able to do from a financial standpoint. Um, but again, from Purdue's standpoint, I don't think you can do anything. You don't know what it looks like until he, he decides. And he can still go through like all the NBA stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, like, like others have done, he can do, you know, see if he gets invited to the combine and, and do all that and make that decision. What in may or whenever that is. Yeah. And, and, and if you remember, he did not do that last year. Yeah. He did not go through that process. And I, I don't, I think you're limited on how many times you can do that but he did not go through that process last year. So that's something I would expect he would take advantage of uh, at least get out there and, and see, I, I don't know if it's going to really change anybody's mind because the NBA doesn't play that way. Uh, professional basketball doesn't play that way. Um, I mean, he's, he's been very good for Purdue. He's been very good for college basketball, but beyond that, you know, and the other thing is he going to be happy in a situation where, uh, whether it's G League or some other pro league playing 10 minutes a game and not really get involved. I mean, he, my read on back is he loves his teammates. He loves being at in the college environment. He loves, you know, the whole thing. His, you know, his teammates have been very good to him. He's been good to his teammates. He loves that atmosphere. Can he, would he be happy in a, in a more of a professional atmosphere? I don't know. Right. So over the years uh, with Matt Painter, I, I think he he has shown um, a, a willingness, and maybe it's been slower than what people have hoped, but a willingness to to do some course corrections. I didn't think early uh, in his tenure at Purdue really much put an emphasis on on anything but its half court offense. Even uh, sort of a willingness just to throw the ball back inbounds rather than have set plays on inbounds. Obviously, after the back to back sub five hundred seasons. Uh, he made some corrections in terms of the style of player, maybe the personality of player that he was recruiting. Do you think that he needs to do something different? Uh, I don't, I don't know what that is. Play a little bit of zone. I don't know. I've never been an advocate of, of that. I'm, I'm just throwing it out there. Uh, change the type of player that he is recruiting. I know, you know, that would be a short runway to be able to do that before next year, but uh, do something different to try to spur more success in, in March than what Purdue has had here over the last three seasons? Well, to me, you start this offseason process by throwing everything on the table. Yeah. And, okay, where are we short? Where Where's our flaws at? Why can we go to Oregon and beat West Virginia, Gonzaga, and Duke in four days win the Big Ten by three games, win the Big Ten tournament. But when when Purdue gets to March, they're beaten by double-digit seeds the last three years. Where's the disconnect there? Right. And I, I, you throw everything on the table, it doesn't mean you change everything. But I think a hard look at from everything, from recruiting to uh, style of play to all that kind of stuff. I think you you owe it to yourself, you owe it to your program 
to look at everything. And this is not a push the panic button type of thing. I think this is something that a lot of programs do over time, whether they yeah. were beaten by a double digit seed or they were beaten in the elite eight. I think you kind of, um, you kind of take a step back and look and see, okay, where can, where can this program improve? Um, I mean, you had a lottery pick last year and you got bounced by a 15 seed. Right. You have the national player of the year this year and you get bounced by, you know, a team that you should have beaten just like the team you should have beaten last year. Yeah. So why isn't it translated? I, I don't have the answer to that because I'm not, completely deep in the weeds with their program as far as everything. But again, I think you throw everything on the table and then kind of work through that process a little bit. At, at the end, when you get to the conclusion, maybe you don't need to change anything. Maybe it's as simple as, you know, hitting a few more shots. <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's stuff like that. I, I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a huge, huge fan of relying on the three. Now I think, I think Matt and his staff have done a good job just by looking at it from afar where you have a big guy yeah, and three point shooters on the perimeter. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's a good philosophy, uh, but you still have to execute that. And there's a reason why teams shoot 43 or 45% for three point range. And that's considered really good. I mean, that's not even half, you're not even hitting half of your shots. <laughs> but the nights that you're bad from three-point range, it, it becomes magnified, and then you throw in the fact that you have turnovers, and it's just a, it's a it's a bad combination, and that has cost Purdue in their losses this year. Um, you know, just with the game the other night, I felt like they settled for too many threes. Um, you know, there's got to be ways to maybe free up your big guy, your or Zach when when uh when teams are just packing it in on him maybe there's some different philosophies as far as screening for him or moving him away from the basket just a little bit and maybe that opens up some things for other people hey there's a whole host of things i mean it does yeah. does matt talk to some of his coaching buddies and say hey help me out here what do we you know scout me and yeah what do we what do we need to do or what do you see that i'm not seeing type of thing and there are coaches that are stubborn that won't change. I, I don't think Matt falls into that category. Uh, and not, I'm not saying he needs to change. I'm just saying this is a time you really have to take a hard look at what you're doing and how you're doing it and then kind of see how that unfolds as you as you work through this process. Yeah. I agree with you. I, I think that if, if he or someone – shows him where they're falling short that he is he is willing to to make changes i think we have seen that um and again like i said maybe we've seen it slower than what people want uh that's possible but right. i think we have seen him adjust at times during his 20 or whatever it's been years here at purdue uh why does purdue have good shooters but can't that doesn't hit three pointers what, what's the deal there well i would oh, i would i mean uh, they shoot 24% in their losses for three point oh. rank. They shoot 40% in their wins. So they, they've, they've hit more three pointers than they haven't this year. They just don't do it when you need to do it. They have good shooters and they're not, the, the ball doesn't always go in when you want it to. 
and you start pressing and you hesitate or whatever. Uh, I just three point shooting is good when you when you're moving the ball. I, I didn't feel like they moved the defense enough. The ball stuck too much. Um, all year there's been this, at least watching it unfold. Not that there's a hesitation to throw it into Zach, but it seems like Zach is available, but the ball doesn't go in there at that time. And then it goes around the perimeter again, and it may not make its way back to Zach. Yeah. Uh, now, whether vision is being, you know, disrupted or it's just it doesn't look the, the right thing. There were a couple times the other night where, you know, Zach it was out on the left wing, the ball was on the the perimeter, and Zach has his man pinned, but he's pointing over his head to throw the ball to the other side. And then I think the goal would have been to get the ball into the paint that way to him while he got, while he had his man uh, pinned away from the basket. Yeah. That happened. So, I mean, Zach was trying to direct some traffic there as well with them that never really, uh, that never really happened, but it's, you know, this year it became a very simple thing to guard Purdue was don't guard Purdue. Yeah. Just back it inside. You'll take your chances from three point range. And, and that, you know, they, they won a lot of games hitting threes. They did. I mean, you don't win 29 games by being five of 23 every, every time from three point range, but um, they, they have to be more consistent in that area. And, but the other part too is turnovers. They, they, they turn the ball over too much. Uh, and that's an area that, you really have to evaluate and not all those turnovers come against the press either. So there's other, there's other things that need to get fixed. Yeah. That was fairly Dickinson's philosophy that, uh, you know, it might give them a 5% chance of winning, but their choice was, we're just not going to guard them. <laughs> we're just not, right. No, uh, I mean, we're, we're not going to guard. We're not going to guard Gillis. We're not going to guard lawyer. Uh, right. we're, we're, you know, we're going to uh, maybe marginally guard Smith and, and in the half court and make them shoot. And, uh, if they hit them, then we'll lose. If they don't, then we have a chance. And Purdue didn't, right. Purdue didn't hit them. Right. Well, I mean, the other, the other thing that comes into play is if you have a slasher that can get to the basket, which they had last year with Jaden Ivey is, does that, how much does that solve that, that problem there? Or are you just bringing more defenders into the paint? Yeah, and we saw that last year with Jaden that he was getting double teamed a lot, but when he decided to go to the basket, he actually brought more defenders into the paint and clogged up the paint. Yeah, now, he didn't get to the rim, and that created problems inside. But you know, it's as simple as having someone that can put the ball on the floor, a slasher that can create because. If you're standing all alone on the three-point line on the right wing and nobody's guarding you and you're 19 feet away from the basket, why can't you move in eight feet and shoot an 11-footer or a 10-footer or whatever it is? And I know those are not analytically correct shots these days. Um, and, and, and Painter is big into the analytical part of this thing where three-pointers yeah. are more valuable than anything else. I, I get it. A basket times three is greater than a basket times two, but they had five three pointers the other night. I don't know. Maybe if you have ten more ten more two point field goals, <laughs> you're, you're getting ready to go to New York today. I, I, I don't. 
I mean, it's to me, I mean, I've always looked at games this way. You go in with the plan. Okay. Here's what we're going to do. This is our strength. We're going to shoot threes. Well, the threes are not falling. Well, yeah. how do you, then at that point, how do you go win the game? You know, yeah. what's the best way to go win the game? Is it still to shoot threes or is it something else? And I think that's, that's something that, uh, uh, I think all teams, not just Purdue, but a lot of teams need to really look at this. What do we, what do you got to do to win the game? And then yeah. go. All right, Carm, now that we have solved Purdue's problem, um, <laughs> how do you solve the big tens problem? Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a bigger issue. And, um, you know, the, the easy answer, uh, is just, well, they got bad matchups. Well, um, it goes beyond matchups, just like Purdue. I, I don't, everyone will say, well, they just got a bad matchup with North Texas, St. Peter's, FDU. Well, in Purdue's case, I think it goes beyond matchups. There's something else that's missing there that needs to get fixed. The Big Ten, it's probably similar. It's not, it's not all matchups. Um, it's, it's not all about who you play. It's, is, the, is the league at a point now where it doesn't prepare a team for March? Uh, the style of play and that, and I, I don't want to get into this area. I'm just going to mention it. I don't want to have a discussion about it, but <laughs> it also depends about officiating as far as how games are called and all that. There's not a lot of freedom of movement in the big 10. Yeah. Uh, so does the, does the big 10 need to have a game called a different way for them to prepare them for March? Um, you know, I don't looking at one year, of data and saying, well, we got to change this and that is not right. You've got, but over the long term, the Big Ten has has not had. When you have eight teams and you're only getting one to the Sweet Sixteen, and you're perceived to be one of the top leagues in the country, then there's something else going on. Does the league in general need to become more athletic? Does yeah, you know where where how do you improve that? But I, again, everything's on the table in my opinion, where you look at it all even the 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 officiating component to see if you're actually getting prepared i mean did did playing i i didn't think playing in this league this year prepared any team for the postseason right and not that there were bad teams in the league or anything like that but you could you could see it and i i thought like maybe in late january or february and when purdue was comfortably out in front I go, are they getting prepared enough for the big for the NCAA tournament by playing in this league? Yeah. And I don't know if they were or not. I don't know if the league actually helped them get ready for the NCAA tournament, but you could come back and say, well, there's no FDU in your league. <laughs> there's just not. Yeah. The closest one might be Maryland. I mean, they're not they're not big, but they're athletic and they put the ball on the floor a lot. And we, you know, we saw Purdue struggle with Maryland twice. Yeah. So there's a lot to unpack. Um, no one's going to have the right answer, but you know, you just hope that everyone kind of takes steps to to look at. I mean, the ACC got has one team in the Sweet 16 as well, but that league was not perceived to be as good as the Big Ten this year. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's the Big Ten has become a little bit of a a big man league, and then the one team that that really doesn't have a dominant big man, Michigan State, is the one that makes it to Sweet Sixteen. It's sort of interesting. Yes, that's uh, you could make your you could make your case right there that big men don't don't carry you far. 
Yeah. Uh, and, and to say matchups don't matter, I mean, they do. I mean, it, it, there are matchup issues there that you have to deal with. But I, I don't I don't think you can just throw a blanket over it and say, well, the Big Ten just got bad matchups. I, I don't. No, no, I, I don't think you, you know, but even if, even if FDU is a bad matchup for Purdue, it's still a, it's still a plus 300 can draw. Right. I mean, that's a, that, when you dig into the numbers, they, 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 they were, and they still are a, a bad defensive team. Yeah. And the fact that Purdue only scored 58 points against them, against them is more of an indictment on Purdue than it is on FDU. And you cannot, right. especially when you watch the game and the philosophy for for the Knights was just to simply not. I mean, they they it was a good decision um, by Tobin Anderson that you know here's our here's our very slim path to victory. Um, force them to shoot threes and hope they miss. Um, well, the other because too, Purdue has missed in yeah. the past, and and um, you know that that probably was part of the reason for his comment after the victory against uh, Texas Southern. You know, the more I watch him on the tape, the more I think we can win. Um, because what he saw was he he found a, a narrow path, a very narrow path, but a path nonetheless. And then he exploited it by by packing it in and and daring Purdue to shoot the ball. And man, Purdue, uh, when it started missing, it got it got tight quick on Purdue. And and <laughs> it's hard to shoot the ball when when that rim feels like it's shrinking up on you. Uh, and Brian brought this up over the weekend, and I agree with him. Isn't it just amazing? Like when one guy misses, they all miss. Yeah. I mean, what? There's no, there's no pattern. I mean, there's what science tells you that's going to happen. I mean, that's just <laughs> that's just odd. And the flip side is, when one guy starts hitting, they all hit. Uh, yeah. I explain that one to you. But the other thing I'll say is that Texas Southern scored 46 points in the paint against FDU. Yeah. And Purdue got outscored in the paint. So regardless of what they were doing, the opportunity to go inside, whether it was Zach or somebody else, should have been there. And that's an area Purdue should have dominated with yeah. this with that team, regardless of what they were what they were doing. So again, you go back and you throw everything on the table. Maybe that's something that they 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 look at and say, No, we this is something we have to do and be committed to it and do it and go from there well it's football season earlier than we expected uh let's let's talk to uh tom deanhart we'll do that coming up next thanks carm thank you sand valley is hosting its annual brews and brats festival march 17th through 19th get in early and enjoy a complimentary sampler flight and snacks before the brewmaster dinner friday night hosted by New Glarus. Saturday afternoon features a self-guided beer tour from Wisconsin and Greater Midwest Breweries, complete with snacks, games, and live music by the Jason McNabb Duo. Get your tickets today by calling 877-347-2402 or by visiting Sand Valley Pursuits front slash events front slash SV dash brews brats. On the far end of Main Street in downtown Lafayette, you'll find East End Grill, Industrial and classic, the restaurant is built like a steakhouse, but handles like a bistro. Easton Grill's menu includes creative starters, simple chopped salads, burgers, fresh fish, and steaks, and the signature shrimp and grits. The staff prepares every item from scratch and emphasizes simple meals that incorporate fresh, local, and seasonal ingredients. 
A warm and inviting dining room features a cozy bar that includes a great selection of craft beer, inspired cocktails, and a robust and expanding wine list. Whatever your entertainment needs are, a cocktail at the bar, dinner with family, or a special event in the private dining room, the energized and attentive staff is here for you. Easton Grill in downtown Lafayette, welcome to our table. When it comes to land sales, it pays to have experts in your corner. AcrePro Midwest Farm Group is your local farmland specialist. With decades of experience in Indiana agriculture, no one knows the market better. Whether you're doing a 1031 exchange or simply buying and selling farmland, your local AcrePro agent will walk the land with you and ensure the deal is done right. Visit AcrePro.com or call 765-587-3185 to talk to your local land expert today. Again, 765-587-3185. At Purdue Federal Credit Union, it's about a relationship. A relationship that goes where you go, wherever you are in life. A relationship that's committed to free financial wellness resources, lower fees, and innovative digital banking solutions. Because we believe in people helping people. Let's build your financial future together. Purdue Federal Credit Union, your trusted financial partner for life. Federally insured by NCUA. All right, Tom, let's talk a little bit of football because it is now football season. How did that happen? I don't know. I was just in Orlando. <laughs> I know. What was that? It was, like, it was like two weeks ago. 63 to 7. Yeah, it seemed like two weeks ago, doesn't it? Was that the final <laughs> score of that game? 63 to 7? <laughs> Yeah, and the Auburn game was 63 to 14. I'll never forget those scores, Kyle. What was, the, what was what was my experience in the this 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 segment of podcast getting off to a great start? Uh <laughs> what what was as we're talking about epic postseason collapses uh off basketball? <laughs> uh what was the score of the Oklahoma State game there in uh that's you that's part your, of that's Dallas? Your turf. That's your turn. I, I wasn't at that game. That, that's your baby. Well, I put that out of my mind. <laughs> You're still in therapy? Yeah. <laughs> therapy from that whole era <laughs> of football. Sometimes it seems like it was yesterday. Sometimes it seems like it was 100 years ago. I know. It's crazy. Well, you know what's tomorrow? Speaking of yesterday, let's talk tomorrow, Tuesday. Uh, spring practice starts. The the Ryan Walters era is here. Um won't be a lot of in-person watching of, of, of a lot of this that will be going on, but it will be a, a big spring nonetheless. A lot of installation of of offense and defense uh, for the Boilermakers. That's really the big storyline, right? I mean, you know, the, uh, how they get this thing put in because it's a pretty different system, um, especially offensively, than what Purdue has been used to. Yeah, you're right. They've been doing dribs and drabs, I think, this winter working with guys on install, uh, but it's nothing like being on the field, right? And we'll get that, like you said, on Tuesday, Purdue kicks off, 15 practices. Of course, they'll wrap up April 22nd. It's going to just be an open practice, and that'll be on the soccer field, folk field, as Ross said, undergoes renovation. So, yeah, practice one, that is being helmets and shorts. And, um, yeah, that offense, a version of the air raid is how it's always described to us. Uh, Graham Harrell said that, Ryan Walters. Not, not all air raids are the same. It's sort of, a, sort of a philosophy, Kyle. So don't expect 80 passes a game and three runs. Um, right. <clears throat> Graham Harrell's got his version. There'll be plenty of running use. There'll be plenty of use of the tight ends as well. That's always a, a concern. 
they better use the tight end with Garrett Miller probably being your best offensive player, right? So, yeah, get that offense installed. What's Hudson Card look like? Yeah. And defensively, too, Kyle, I think it's a pretty radical change there. Five-man front, two guys on the end are going to be stand-up outside linebackers, a buck and a fox, two ends and a nose tackle. So that's a defense. It's unconventional. That was really what Ryan Walters hung his hat on in Illinois and what made that Illini program so good the last couple of years. Buck and the Fox, huh? I love the I love the names for the positions. We've had Leo <laughs> and Jack and <laughs> and all these things over the last ten years or so. So uh, we'll have all we'll those two now. Yeah, I, I suppose that's correct. That you know, defensively, uh, a, a big change. Also, what what positions do you think in particular? I mean, outside of Hudson Card, which you know, obviously. Uh, what other positions you think are really of of note? Wide receiver, probably. Yeah. I mean, that's a big one. Um, and then there are defensive ones as well. Yeah, I think wide receiver. Kyle, they got a lot of bodies over there. Twelve or thirteen, I think, scholarship wide receivers. Um, but Kyle, are there any special wide receivers? Um, I don't know. You know, we have Mershon Rice, T.J. Sheffield, Brock Thompson. Deion Birch, Preston Terrell, Abir Rahman Yassin, Colin Sullivan. A lot of the same names are back, and they're nice guys. They're proven. I think Rice, Sheffield, Burks, and, and, and Brock Thompson could be your cuts above, if you will. Um, I'm not sure if anybody's really a true alpha. It'll be interesting, interesting to see, Kyle, how healthy Brock Thompson is. I'm told he's gained weight. Uh, will he be out there in any capacity? They certainly could use Brock. And a quick side note, too, um, Pro Day, who's out there catching passes from Aiden O'Connell, Kyle? It was Milton Wright. Yeah. Uh, I've talked to some people around this situation, and he is efforting to get back into school. Purdue's his best chance to get back in for academic progress reasons. There's a chance, Kyle. So that would be, uh, I think, a prayer answer if, if he got Milton Wright back. So, yeah, wide receiver. And then defensively, boy, the secondary, my friend, to give you a, 1983 War Games movie reference. Oh boy. Matthew Broderick, Ali Sheedy. <laughs> I think the secondary is a DEFCON one. <laughs> well, that's good. Cornerback, huh? especially cornerback. Yeah. You, got, you got Cam Allen, Susie Kane. They're veterans at safety. They have the kid from Arkansas, Anthony Brown, who can help at safety. So they got three kind of solid safeties a cornerback, buddy, Jamari Brown, and just this spring, a bunch of questions. Um, the Stanford transfer, Salim Turner Muhammad, won't be here till the summer. And again, Kyle, I, I think they need two or three cornerbacks out of the portal. So that, to me, the cornerbacks in particular, secondary in general, is my biggest area of worry. Yeah. So uh, not open. You surprised? Not not a yeah, lot. Of, yeah. You want to have eyeballs on on what's going on out there? I guess, especially the first three practices or so, because usually not much is done when you're not even in pads, with helmets and shorts. And as you know, you have to graduate up to full pads, right? And then you go to shells for a couple practices. So, yeah, I, I understand the need to want to have some, some, some. Uh, I, I don't want to say cloak and dagger about you, but you want some privacy to sort of get your 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 systems installed. And, um, but yeah, still, again, I thought maybe one or two practices, what would it hurt when you were still working on maybe, maybe just some rudimentary stuff at that point, some real base offense. Um, so yeah, I, I was surprised. So yeah, again, 
just for the media, Kyle, just the first few few uh, periods of each practice will be open. Then we have to leave. Then we come back post-practice to our interviews. So, uh, yeah, that, that's the setup this year. And, again, like I said, the only open practice for everybody is going to be the final one on April 22nd. So we're back to the Danny Hope era, though Hope's level of paranoia was extreme. And I don't, I don't, I'm, just, I'm not saying Ryan Walters is paranoid. I'm just saying it. Uh, Danny Hope went so far as to try to shut down a wedding reception up in the press box. I never heard that story. That's good. Yeah. Uh, because you could see from the, you know, oh, sure. see from the press box down the, down toward the practice field. Yeah. That's good. Uh, <laughs> Uh, at least I heard that happen. I, I just have to assume it's true. Let's go with that. Let's go ahead and say it's true. It yeah, let's just go with it. Uh, but yeah, interesting. I mean, uh, different philosophy. Uh, as we you know, we've seen a little bit of everything through the years from uh, from Joe Tiller, and then Joe Tiller even, you know, closed it down a little bit toward the end there uh, to what Danny Hope did, and and I don't even remember. I, I try again. I try to shut out the Daryl Hazel era, um, and then what we've seen. You know, relatively open for for Jeff Brom here. So a different different philosophy. It'll be interesting to see whether that's just a, a one year thing or whether that that is ongoing. But at least for now, um, not a whole lot of access there. So, uh, what do you expect, sort of in terms of in terms of what you will learn by like the end of spring? Probably not a whole lot, to be honest with you. Yeah, for only watching guys stretch and maybe run through some rudimentary position drills. Um, any information we glean will be just from post-practice interviews. So uh, that's okay. I understand that they got a job to do. Yeah. They understand there's a lot at stake and it's, it's there's, we have no right to know every detail that's going on. So I understand it. It's, it's, it's okay. That they're, like I said, it's, it's their job and their livelihood. So, um, and it all take care of itself. And so, yeah, We'll just kind of have to wait and see to get, obviously, that more full-blown scale look. Um, probably come September 2nd, the Fresno State rolls into West Lafayette for the opener. So, so yeah, some. So, but, again, um, we'll see what we can find out from interviews, obviously. Uh, it'll be interesting to see who all is not out there for the spring, Kyle. Um, some injured players. I don't think Gus Hartwig will participate. Right. See if Daniel Johnson's out there. So, guys who are kind of, kind of coming off post-season surgeries, kind of trying to get an accountant of who's there. And let me just say this, too. From my account, Kyle, I've got this pinned on our message board. I always keep a current scholarship distribution chart. My best guess, and I think it's pretty close, who's on scholarship, what position, or what class. I got everything totaled up by class and position. My account, Kyle, I've got 87 guys on scholarship. Of course, that's two over. What's my point? My point is this is a big spring for a lot of guys because – to make all this work out, if Purdue wants to bring in players from the portal, and we know they do, it's going to have to be some attrition. So this is a big spring for a lot of guys to try to impress, I think. Yeah. I always joke uh, on coaches, you know, whether they realize they, they, they don't have to say things. You don't have to, don't have to say things sometimes. Uh, so, so maybe it's the smartest decision to just shut things down a little bit. Yeah. Is, as in you know as I, possible. I, I Selfishly, probably, I want to be able to go stand outside of, of practice um, because, you know, <laughs> it's a chance it's to just stand fun. outside and stand around, do nothing for a couple hours. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I always, I always hassle coaches when they're like in an interview, they say something silly. I'm like, you know, you could just like not say anything at all. Um, so, you know, 
maybe it's for the best sometimes that they close things down. I probably would shut things down if I was a coach, to be honest with you. I wouldn't tell the media anything, Kyle. I wouldn't either. <laughs> no, I'm not telling. I'm not talking about injuries. I'm not talking about yeah, injuries. I'm, yeah. not coming to practice. Exactly. Yeah. But I love, I, I love Jeff Brown for that, man. He was good. Yeah. No, I mean, as a media person, you love it. But yeah. if I'm the coach, I'm not saying anything. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right, let's talk a little bit of uh, of recruiting. We have not mentioned yet, uh, in this podcast at least, uh, the quarterback commitment, Marcos Davila, uh, out of Texas, who committed, what, I, I guess two weeks ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, nice to get that quarterback commitment, especially in the position that Purdue is in, where, man, they need – and I know he won't be here as soon as what Purdue wants, but man, they need bodies at QB. Yeah, he'll be here next January. He'll be an early enrollee. That's already been decided. I spoke to his coach shortly after he committed. Six three kid, Kyle, about two hundred pounds. Checks a lot of the boxes. Obviously, has the decorated resume. He was a Texas Christian commit. TCU had a change at coordinator. Um, Garrett Riley went to Clemson to be Dabo Sweeney's. Uh, coordinator and they, they have a switch there so I just think they had a different philosophy and and Graham Harrell had really recruited Marcos when he was at West Virginia and already had a pre-existing relationship and stayed in touch with him so voila yeah Marcus Davila's coming to Purdue so credit Graham Harrell there so you're right they have him in the full car they got about four commitments already from high school 2024 kids um, during spring practice There will obviously be kids dropping by to watch. Uh, I'm sure there'll be a big event around the spring game, too. So, obviously, they're going to be working this stuff, getting guys on campus. Because this will be the chance for these kids, many of whom have already visited uh, for junior days and whatnot. This will be the chance to actually for them to watch the coaches coach and see if maybe that's a guy they, they want to play for. Right. All right, Tom. Thank you. Take care, buddy. That'll do it for our podcast for this week. A thanks to our sponsors. As always, if you do like the podcast, please rate us five stars on your favorite podcast app. Leave us a comment as well. All right, that'll do it for our show. For Mike Harmon and Tom Deanhart, I'm Kyle Churners. Thanks for listening. This is Golden Black Radio.